0: One of the things I really see is happening now is that you have more different people sitting around the kitchen table to solve the solutions from the corporate, from the university, from the funding side, all the way down to the producer. And those producer voices really have power now, more so than before.
1: Welcome to this episode of Australian Pork's podcast, Next on the Menu. Our podcast is a curation of conversations on the future of food, and we'll be exploring our guest perspectives on the innovations that will change the world of food as we know it. I'm Mitch Edwards, a long-time supporter of the Australian pork sector, and joining me today as co-host is Andrew Billy Baxter, Chair of Australian Pork.
2: Welcome, Billy. Thanks, Mitch. It's an absolute pleasure to be co-hosting with you as always. Now, we have got an absolute treat today. We've got a fantastic guest. She's an absolute heavy hitter in the food and ag innovation, entrepreneurship and startup ventures world. Anne Graven is the global head of food and agribusiness startup innovation at Rainbow Bank as well as its Food Bites platform. Uh, Anne's spent over 15 years at Rabobank, but's always had a focus on the food, beverage and agricultural side of things, including with her private equity clients in her prior role at the bank. Now, for those listening, food Bites is Rabobank's food and agriculture innovation platform. Under Anne's leadership, the platform has become a key driver for many of the bank's sustainability goals and strategies, and it's brought together some of the best and brightest startups and entrepreneurs from around the world, enabling them to bring innovative and actionable ideas to many of the major food and ag companies. So, big intro too, wasn't it, Mitch? Uh, In today's podcast, we'll not only discuss all of that with Anne, but we'll review the innovation lessons she's learned in the last 12 months, and we'll also discuss her thoughts on future market opportunities and the challenges that the food and ag space faces. Anne, welcome to the next On The Menu podcast.
0: Thank you, guys. It's a privilege to be here, and and what a a glowing intro. Thank you. Hopefully, I can live up to it.
2: (laughs) Now, first of all, where, where did your passion for the food and egg industry start?
0: Well, you know what? I have to say it was genetic. How about that? My family is uh, very much have always been involved in food, but really from the restaurant side. And as a kid growing up in many kitchens, I had a passion for food, and that was actually really on the, on the creation side and uh, restaurants. But then um, I was privileged to go uh, to school out west in Montana, and that's where I saw food really being produced, i.e., all the way from the farm gate to uh, the plate. And it's been a passion ever since. Also, recognizing the need very early on and my concern about water. I was very concerned about water as a kid. And so, sustainability and thinking about how we could do it all more efficiently and no lie has been. A passion of mine. So um, I think, like I said, I was born into it.
1: That's amazing. And particularly your passion about water from an early age. But I'm really also super excited to see a female leader at your level in the ag industry. It should be more of it, and I'd like to hear about the Foodbites platform, and your role at Rabobank? Yeah,
0: well, I feel really fortunate. One, um, I've grown up really as a banker. Uh, I've made my way through some of the big investment banks, uh, but I moved over to Rabobank because at the time I was really intrigued by this uh, niche approach, which I felt like I could really make a difference. And it's been an organization that's allowed me to grow and develop and take on a, a lot of different roles. And so I feel very privileged that I've that I've been in the right place to achieve what I have. Uh, I think there are a lot of women who are food leaders, I would say, but they're not always in the forefront. They tend to be alongside others. So um, I feel that there's more and more coming up and I hope that I can support them along the way because I think that it's uh, diversity makes better decisions.
1: Absolutely.
2: We'll get back in a sec to the the Food Bites platform because I'm really keen to uh, hear some more about that. But One of the big challenges we've got out here in Australia right now, given the distance from where the rest of the world is our freight, you know, the the whole supply chain is tough right now. Long lead times. There's some big fundamental problems off the back of COVID. What sort of technology solutions are you seeing that that may well help us going forward in that supply chain space and freight space?
0: Well, you know, um, I think one of the things uh, that is the biggest advancement we'll start seeing is really the adoption of new technologies that are digitizing data and being really able to determine where products are and how they can be moved in the most efficient way and, and the linkage of that data. You know, there's a lot of data out there, but how it's going to get linked over time. And there's technologies now that are looking at building those platforms of communication that will make that more seamless. Blockchain uh, is a big contributor to that. So I expect that there will be more blockchain solutions coming on. But right now, what I think what's kind of interesting is because I, I I hear about this topic a lot. I get this question a lot about, you know, supply chain, supply chain efficiency, whether it's Australia or anywhere else in the world. And the reality is what's so fun. And it was recently a quote from one of the startups who have been part of our program. who said, you know, what's great is supply chains are sexy now. It's sexy to talk about supply chains. And the truth is, it really is because the demand and the focus on it and the transparency that's been created as a result of COVID and the inability to move things around as easily as we had in the past has shown their fragility. And so I think we'll see more innovation, uh, more money going to solve these solutions. And sexy is investable. Let's remember that. So if uh, that's what people think, great, because um, I think there's more more we're going to see over the next few years. A couple of the ones that have been part of Food Bites is a company called AgriDigital, which is really creating that that network of communication that I've spoke of. Galley is another one, which is opening up and creating transparency about where products are and how they can be moved efficiently. So I think that there's, there's a lot coming and there's a lot in the works, uh, but I think there's going to be a lot more.
1: So with our sexy pig producers in mind, how can all these technology advances benefit them? And do you have any words or encouragement around embracing the innovations and the technologies for our sexy pig farmers?
0: I think it's a really good question. And in fact, in preparing really to focus specifically on what was happening in the pork sector, I was listening to a, a couple of experts from universities and trying to hear what do they see as the challenges and you know one of the things that we see a lot and it's not just specific to pork is that they say that you know the producers need to be in the same room as the tech people building these solutions and i think that there's more happening at that convergence where the whether it's at the university level or at the corporate level where they decide they're going to solve this problem but they don't actually bring in the the pork producers They're not at the table and the reality is they may come up with this great solution, but if it's not applicable to those that have to implement it, it won't work. So one of the things I really see is happening now is that you have more different people sitting around the kitchen table to solve the solutions from the corporate, from the university, from the funding side, all the way down to the producer. And those producer voices really have power now, more so than before.
1: So, Anne, do you think that the ag sector as a whole is being more proactive or reactive when it comes to embracing innovations? And if not, now how can we change this position?
0: The food and ag space always has been a low, very low margin business, especially at the production level. You know, if you're a producer, you know, those margins really matter. So the, the willingness to adopt and implement new ideas or new technology have been slower because the cost of getting it wrong has been too great. One of the uh, folks, uh, also part of our platform, said, you know, if innovation means going green, but companies are producing, i.e. pork producers are in the red, it's not going to matter. And the truth is, the cost to whether it's becoming more sustainable or investing in new technology has to make sense. So by bringing those together and thinking in that way, I think we'll actually see more advancement and that's definitely happening.
2: We're seeing and talking a lot here about just on some of these technologies, things like cell-based meat and alternative proteins. Yeah. Just on the cell-based meat side of things, where are you seeing that is at at the moment? It, it seems to be reasonably you know, fast growing. Uh, what's your take on that?
0: Well, I think it is fast growing, but it's still really expensive, right? So- it's not a, a true solution for uh, that's going to fill, you know, the twenty fifty needs of the consumer if the prices don't come down. But the likelihood is the prices are going to come down. There's newer technologies. There's newer advancements, and those costs will reduce over time. But it is still what I would say is very much in the early development stages. It will have a place. Will it be in the more scientific research side? Will it be more around other technology combinations? Possibly. Will it be a standalone product? Maybe, but I still think it's far away.
1: So what do you think the greatest barriers are for adoption? Like is it cost prohibitive or human reaction? Or
0: I think right now it's cost, simply cost. You know, we, we've debated this a lot. Is like how do people feel about eating cell, you know, basically petri dish meat or I think a lot about that because I think myself, my generation, probably kind of going to be harder. Yeah. But I'm not the person who's going to be buying it in five to 10 years. So is the new consumer going to be open to eating cell-based meat, especially if it's a component of other beliefs that they have and in, in the purchasing power that they're using to make that? I believe that that's changing, and I think we, we often – We think about what the consumer is asking for today and we need to also in some of these early technologies think about where is the consumer going to be in 10 years? Who is this consumer going to be and how are they looking at and how are they, how will they be looking at their food choices?
1: We're raised with regular meat and with the new generation coming on, if it becomes the norm, it's the norm.
2: We had a fascinating conversation in our last season of the podcast with our friends at CSIRO, which is Australia's science and research organisation that you'll know. And they've been doing a lot of work in that alternate protein in terms of the fermented side with milk, but they've, you know, they're brewing milk effectively. And we were like, wow, you know, this is uh, absolutely incredible. What, what are you seeing in that space over there? Who's ahead of the curve? Who should we be watching out for?
0: One of our alumni Better Meat Co. They're doing something where it's not necessarily about fermentation, but it's about creating a product from mushrooms so that, you know, I think mushrooms are sort of the new big thing that we're watching. Not that they're new, they're old, but the adoption in in the meat alternative space is is massive. Fermentation is still you know very much in in the design phase, but probably not as advanced in in rolling out the product offerings that you'd expect. You know, microalgae is another technology that is growing and and relevance in the in the alternative space, but yeah, these are the companies that you know, that we're looking at. And, and actually one of the Food Bites companies from this year is a company called Fable. I don't know if you guys know it, but um, they're actually an Australian-based startup and they are lo- using mushrooms as sort of this leading center of the plate meat alternative. Because the consumer, and I think this will be a growing um, need of the consumer, especially if we're looking at what the generation uh, that is, you know, 10 to 15 to 16 are looking at, they're looking for much more cleaner products. Um, and that's what you get with the mushrooms and these other type of technologies.
2: I want to touch on the Food Bites platform. Just You mentioned that the last group uh, just then, and I think you've got 45 uh, finalists this year in the startup space. And I don't know whether you've announced the winners yet or they're, they're coming that, that you guys support. But what are the trends this year? Which startups are jumping out at you? What sort of areas seem to be coming to the fore?
0: What's interesting, it's the first time we have a startup in all three categories that are really dealing with packaging. And so really, the focus on plastic reduction is, you know, is definitely a need. And it's something that we continue to find a solution that actually, it's not just the plastic, it's the, it's there's a whole ecosystem that is disrupted because there's not enough capacity for recycling of plastic. So the only way to really deal with plastic is have to, we have to eliminate it in as many areas as we can. So we have it on the farm gate with, a, with one of the new technologies that we're, we're focusing on. Another one on the food tech side, which is creating a synthetic, almost like it feels like a, a plastic wrap, but it's paper. So, you know, for it to create a biodegradable paper shelf-stable packaging solution. And then there's another one, which is reducing, you know, what we call saran wrap. I don't know what you call it, but plastic wrap in your kitchen. And it's actually another Australian company called Great Wrap. And that also is compostable. So these these are the solutions that we're looking at and are super, super excited about.
2: One of the ones that caught our attention was, uh, I think it was called Novo Nutrients. It was a company that upcycles yeah. industrial carbon dioxide into food system ingredients. And uh, and I know our producers are pretty keen to explore, you know, that circularity and, and how they can close the loop on some of their reduced waste. Can you tell us a bit more about, about them?
0: So Novo Nutrients is a company that I've been following for quite a while. It was introduced uh, by a friend of mine and, and they're actually taking – Carbon dioxide and and making a byproduct that is actually edible. Um, Right now it's being used for feed into um, seafood farming. This product has a lot of hope because it's a high protein product that's actually taking carbon dioxide out of the air and creating an edible product. And it's as it iterates over time, these kind of solutions where we can create nutrient dense byproducts from true waste are going to continue to get a lot of focus. And while it may not be, you know, we need to not only think about what we're going to eat, but there's a big feed system out there that, you know, for animal proteins, we know, and if we can actually take waste and make feed products that are nutrient dense, that's a a huge double whammy in, in solving problems.
1: tell us, Anne, about, you know, give us a scoop on any other new startups or innovations that you can share with us at this stage and some of those that we really should know about.
0: Some of the things that I really am focused on now is not the next big snack food, but, you know, Ulu Milk is a company also coming out of Australia, believe it or not, which is basically, you know, we've been chasing these nut milks. We get really, really excited about nut milk. But, you know, then look at all the packaging we have attached to it. We have those big cartons. They're not recyclable. And they're saying, okay, we're going to go back to the old school. We're going to actually create a really, you know, almost like, you know, powders. And we used to make powdered milk. I don't know if you ever had powdered milk growing up. They're taking it and making a really dense nut formula that you just mix with your own water in your own container. And so I get really excited about solutions like that in the consumer space that are actually saying, we're going to redesign it. Not that it's new, but we're going to create something that has less waste. So those ideas get me excited. On the food tech side, it's uh, companies, especially, I'm going to speak about this one because we're talking to an animal protein, Hope I would assume interested group of people here, but a company we're, we're looking at now, also a food bite uh, participant, it's called Marble, and they're looking at really putting robotics within the packing house. And that's something that has been just has not happened for a long, long time, you know, conveyor belts, things like that, you know, with regard to meeting, moving protein around. But this is actually totally automizing the back end on the packing side, so where you're taking the already prepared meat and packing them, putting them in boxes and allowing the people, the resources in that area of the packing plant to be deployed elsewhere. And why do I get excited about that is, As we know in the food and ag space right now, the biggest challenge we are all facing, as we pointed out, one of them is how we move things around. But a big part of that is the lack of labor. And um, that is going to be an increasing problem. So if we can actually deploy labor from one part and move it to another part, we're creating new efficiencies that we didn't have the opportunity to do in the past. On the ag tech side, to me, the, the things that I get most excited about are those that are actually driving efficiency with really simple technologies? Because for the farmer, it is, you know, continues to be a very low margin business for them. So if we can put more money back into the farmer's hands by helping them do things more efficiently at a lower touch, lower tech, lower investment standpoint, I get excited. And things that I see there are really around technologies. And, and so let, let, let's look at inputs, the input side, where they can actually be much more efficient about where they put fertilizer, how they use it so that they can optimize their yields. And there's a n- number of technologies outside doing that. They're pretty low tech, but they're very, very efficient. And, and so I get excited about those type of things.
1: Along the way, you've actually mentioned Australia coming up with some uh, startup companies yeah. quite a few times, and which is really exciting for us to hear. Are there key players in the innovation in Australia that that you could call out?
0: Well, you mentioned one of them, CSIRO, and you, you got, I think what, what's so great about Australia and what we've really looked to partner with, MLA is another one, these guys are investing a lot in making sure that they could help advance innovation within the country and then take it beyond the borders. And so those have been partners that have been a part of Food Bites connecting into our global reach and really utilizing their own investment into building and coming up with solutions that are servicing the agricultural space. We had a a record number of startups coming out of Australia because of these partnerships and the, I would say, the pretty robust desire to move beyond their borders. You know, the language barrier is not an issue for them, so it does help them move more quickly than others. And so being able to bring their innovation across the pond whether it's to Europe or to North America, has been met with a great deal of success.
1: You actually mentioned MLA as being one of the innovators. We're actually working towards a a situation where we work more collectively because we just compete and all doing the same sort of research. But are MLA up to anything that you can share that's super interesting?
0: One of the things MLA is doing is a lot around feed. You know, with carbon emission being a big challenge for the cattle industry and the meat industry as a whole, especially on, on the cattle side, less on the pork side, less on the chicken side, and obviously on the seafood side, even less. Um, if at all, it's more about shipping. So feed and making sure that you know that the ruminum biome is has a is, has a healthy ecosystem which eliminates less carbon. So they spent a lot of time there. They've also, where they're spending time, and I think they do it in partnership with some of the startups that they've met through our program, is looking at how they can use Australian inputs to drive new product creation or how they're looking at at creating protein, animal proteins as a core composite of of proteins in in other products. So I think those are a few things that I can share. Um, And they've been, you know, They're very organized in how they pilot and look to engage and learn and then share that back to their constituents. So creating a partnership and aligning, I think, will only help advance things even faster within Australia.
2: It's good to see the Aussies doing quite well in this space. And uh, I know through one of our new bodies out here, Agriculture Innovation Australia, that um, the intention is that we are going to drive a lot more, as Mitch said, as a collaborative group uh, across the sector and see if we can't commercialize some of these things globally. Now, the last eighteen months, given the pandemic, and we've had two major lockdowns here, it has fast tracked a lot of innovation. It's sort of forced a lot of uh, things to change. What, what have you seen around the world in the last eighteen months that have, in a way, benefited from you know what? What's a really tough time, but it's forced people to drive innovation more speedily.
0: Food delivery was really on the decline. You know, uh, getting your groceries delivered to your home. Uh, the last mile was forever not being solved. Who was going to pay the cost. So I would say that for the developed world where they have the disposable income, that is not going away. They saw huge growth during the uh, pandemic. They saw the convenience and it met safety concerns. So things like that, I would say were saved and probably became more rooted. What it also did, believe it or not, at the same point in time, because one of the few areas that people could go to were grocery outlets and grocery stores, they actually had a resurgence of growth as well as becoming where people went to buy everything. And that, you know, we we saw a lot of bifurcation before you. the consumer was buying more and more. 50% of their food was being consumed outside the home. So grocery stores were were really suffering. I think that's changed. I think the consumer is now... Recognizing that eating healthier and at home is here to stay. So they're at the grocery store more. With regard to blockchain, I think really looking at blockchain solutions has taken a huge, huge acceleration once again, mostly as for what we talked about. You know, how do we create a more transparent, authentic supply chain tracking and investment in blockchain is going on, but more local? So we talk about this a lot. So local sourcing has also gotten a lot of focus of investments into things that can build access locally, um, whether it's vertical farming, things of that nature to shorten those supply chains and create food security are also taking off. At the farm gate, it's really making sure that they have more nimble outlets for sale. And I think that that's being done mostly through tech and communication platforms that allow people to talk about supplies and what they have and and more off-takers to buy that.
1: One thing you just touched base on, Anne, was around the traceability around food and in supply chains. And we're doing a project on behalf of our producers now. So what are you seeing in the traceability space that we should be really keeping an eye out for?
0: So I think I think a lot of what people are not aware of is, is there's a lot of fraudulent claims around traceability. So really being able to tag and track the supply chain is really crucial and will become even more crucial. I think there will be scarcities and being able to move things around. So so this is where uh, authentication, tracking, and and hopefully we don't go back to having multiple different You know, labels, but it's going to be a more authentic, uh, curated digital system that people trust and believe in and invest in. And so there's a number of them right now. There's no one leader. There's a lot of smaller guys, but I think that those are the type of technologies that are going to drive that change because transparency is going to be crucial. You know, you're going to want to be able to follow it from farm gate to consumer.
2: Just the last couple of questions, I love companies that have got a big purpose. Uh, it's something I do a little bit of with outside of this role and you guys have got a big one. Uh, I think I read in one of your tweets recently that the purpose of uh, Food Bites is to help facilitate progress in the food and agricultural industries to feed the world's growing population whilst navigating the challenges imposed by climate change and, and this current global pandemic. I mean, it's a, it's a big ambition. <laughs> and how are you guys going with that how are you living and breathing it you know what's the feeling like within uh, the organization
0: we were i guess awarded the most sustainable bank award and you know what does that really mean i think it, it does mean that we make sustainability core to our mission and it's it's also in how we look to deploy capital we have green loans green bonds so there there's certain expectation that customers are going to meet Certain reduction of either carbon or, or whatever we agree for that. We also have loans that actually will help clients achieve their emission standards. So, so we're pretty. We live and breathe it in the products we offer, but also in what we do with platforms like this. We invest a lot in being very knowledgeable at the organization and around all things food and ag, and so we look to really look at not only what's happening within the industry, but how the industry is going to need to change to what we believe is going to be a more sustainable way of operating. We think about the flights we take. We think about, you know, how we're conducting our business. And as we all are getting ready to return to office and clients want to meet with us, you know, we're thinking really openly about how we're going to move around and how we operate. So it's the core of what we do. And For us at the Food Bites, in the Food Bites world, all the solutions we look for have to have a sustainable angle. If they don't, there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there doing a lot of great things. But if they're not dealing with, say, food waste or taking waste out or upcycling waste or looking at less, you know, human contact or any of those things, we're probably not going to be interested in them. So I would say it's core to to our, our values.
1: And I've got time for one last question, which is one we'd like to ask all of our guests, but what content or influential people should our producers, our Australian pig farmers be following or subscribing to, in your opinion, and we're really keen to know?
0: Wow. I feel like that's a layup question because of course I'm going to say you should be following Food Bites. Um, I thought you might actually. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what is it? The shameless plug. Um, (laughs) I won't be so shameless, but um, you know, we do have a newsletter. So definitely I encourage everyone to follow our newsletter and sign up. And I think you know, we have a lot of really good podcasts that are not just for the pork space, but for the food and ag space coming from Bank as a whole. So I encourage you guys to listen to some of those. We do look at it from a global perspective. And I think that that makes us pretty unique. So we have people from all over the globe speaking on those as well. And then I, I think, you know, even within your own country, there's a lot going on. So whether it's, you know, you guys mentioned CSIRO, MLA, but they also have a big food innovation event every year called Sprout, right?
2: Yep, Sprout Okay. Sprout.
0: <laughs> and so, but the reason why I bring up Sprout is that I you know, a lot of the startups that have been part of our ecosystem have at some point, the ones that came from Australia came through Sprout. So I think it's to say that, you know, you don't have to always look a far field to find what's happening in innovation. I think there's a lot going on everywhere. And because we try to take a global view, we, we of course think food bites, but it's not the only one.
2: Well, Anne, it has been so good to have you on the show. We really appreciate it. And there we have it, another great episode of Next on the Menu. A big thanks, of course, to our guest today, Anne Graven, to my co-host, Mitch Edwards, to our producers, Boyd Britton and Ashley Gray, and our researcher, Andrea Zanetta. Uh, This podcast can be found on all good podcast networks such as Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And you can also find Next on the Menu across all Australian Pork social channels or at australianpork.com.au. And of course, we'd love it if you'd also like to leave us a review as well. Look forward to seeing you all on the next episode of Next on the Menu.